0: What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. This is episode two of the second season, and I'm Noel jesse Hakenin, your host and the chief recovering hypocrite on these parts. And today, I'm really excited uh, about the interview that I have. It is with Karen Eman, who is a New York Times bestselling author, and more importantly, she goes to my church. (laughs) So we're gonna get to her in a second um, because she has a new book out uh, called Keep Showing Up. That is a fantastic book. I had the opportunity to endorse it, um, but the the thing that got me thinking about having her on the podcast here is an article I stumbled on, um, uh, on, a, on a website. It's a blog called Theology Mix. Uh, so it's theologymix.com. And I'm not really sure who even wrote this article. I looked at it. I couldn't find it. I mean, it's probably on here somewhere. But um, this is what they say. The, this, this particular article was called this, uh, Relationships, What You Don't Need to Forgive. And this was really striking to me. I want to just read to you the first couple sentences and the first three bullet points, and then you can uh, check out the article. I'll link to it at noeljesse.com slash podcast. Um, But this is what they write. They said this. Not everything that bothers or annoys us needs to be forgiven. Now, that alone is just a striking statement, and I, I plan on tweeting it. Not everything that bothers or annoys us needs to be forgiven. Forgiveness is only for moral offenses. When we try to use forgiveness as the method to resolve relational irritants that are not moral in nature, several bad things happen. And this is, this is profound. There, there are three things. That I, this, this would be like a, a three-point sermon uh, waiting to be preached. This is what they say. One, we establish our preferences as the moral standard for the other person, and that's pride we begin to feel as if we forgive more than we are forgiven and and that's self-righteousness and we gain an increasingly negative view of the other person and that's us being judgmental and i got thinking about how, there are so many relationships that we have that has just this thing going on where where any time someone does something that we find annoying or irritating or off-putting or mildly offensive, but it's, it's not a sin. We treat it like a sin. In fact, there's there's pockets of people that I've known in my life um, that use Matthew 18 in scripture as a verb. Like when someone has offended them in some way, they say, oh, well, did you Matthew 18 that person? And 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 outside the church, this is becoming a thing too. Twitter is is all about calling out offenses with people that are not offenses. There's, there's nothing to be forgiven if someone is just annoying to you. There's, there's nothing to be forgiven if someone's just bothering you or they're irritating you. Yeah, you got to work out some relationships. And yeah, there might be some sin in there that's complicating the whole thing. But it's, it's, not, it's not a sin. It's, it's not a moral issue. And, and so what happens is we elevate these issues little minor irritants in our lives to such a degree that we become prideful, self-righteous, and judgmental. And those things are sin. And if anybody needs to be rebuked, if there's anyone who needs to ask forgiveness, it's us when we do that to other people. Now, this is why I thought Karen would be a great guest, because... Her new book, uh, and she's written just a ton of books, but her newest book um, is called Keep Showing Up, and it's about marriage. And And just think about that concept for a second, keep showing up. The idea here is, is the key to marriage is not going anywhere. I, I retweeted a quote a couple weeks ago where someone said, uh, the, the, it was some famous quote about, someone asked them, how have you stayed married so long? And they said, easy, neither one of us have died yet. And It's going into marriage with this posture that I'm not giving up on this thing. In fact, I remember when my wife and I were uh, about to get married, we were engaged. We talked about this idea and we made a commitment that our marriage wasn't something we were just going to bail out of. That we were, in that moment that we were getting married, stuck with one another. Um, And uh, uh, isn't that an 80s song? Um, I'm happy to be stuck with you. Who sang that song all of a sudden? It's on my head. Anyway, so I want to get to this interview because I I, I want you to hear from Karen um, just some really practical stuff about just having a normal marriage that glorifies Jesus. Now, the thing about Karen is I have known her for longer than I've (laughs) <laughs> known her? Is that's that, a good way to put it. So, um, so Karen Eamon, whose new book on marriage called Keep Showing Up, I've known Karen for, okay, you're gonna have to tell me. So because you have a recollection of how long we've known each other more than I do. Do you, do you have any idea? I how think,
1: long... so, yes, I remember because I remember when I moved to St. John's, Michigan, and was a substitute teacher. My husband Which was is the pastor. town I grew up in. Yes, yeah. and so that was in the late 80s.
0: Okay, that would be right, because yeah. I graduated high school in 89. Yes,
1: and I remember some of the kids in our youth group hung with a guy named Noel, and then lo and behold, years later, my son's going to this new church. My, uh, I think he was about 21 at the time, and said, oh, you got to try this church around. the The preaching's just so good. The pastor's just so good, so I go to church, not at the main venue, at a different venue, where this screen pops up when it's time for the pastor's message and this pop-up pastor's coming up before my eyes and i'm like hey isn't that that Noel kid all grown up with a beard preaching and yeah. it was you how about that a
0: hey, pop-up pastor pop-up pastor got, noel dude i gotta remember that that's a great way of saying it <laughs> yes yes i always say it's the two-dimensional version of me it's the flat knoll, like flat Stanley. <laughs> oh, Yeah, <laughs> that's true pop-up noel that's hilarious but it is interesting growing up in the lansing area because um, I went to high school here, and I went to college here, and I, I did all of my ruthless, terrible sinning here, and uh, I followed Jesus here, and I'm involved in baseball here, and I, I can, the, my whole worlds, they all collide.
1: Yes. And, and aren't you glad the the ruthless sinning was before cell phones? Oh So it has been captured. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's right it's just in everyone's just captured yes, in their of memories course, but of course, not now on the film.
0: ruthless sinning is all just deep in my heart and my soul where no one can see
1: mm-hmm. it there you go there <laughs> so, you go
0: so karen uh in addition to being a new york times best-selling author which i think i'm obligated to say when introducing you um also is like you said it attends our church here at rearview so it's been uh, great to get to know you over the last couple of years but um your new book on marriage uh when you sent me the first copy of it, I thought, okay, here's a book on marriage written by a lady. She's probably writing it for ladies, and I'm not going to connect to it, but it was fantastic, and I knew after reading it that I wanted to sit down and talk to you about it because the thing that, that got me um, was uh, you didn't hide any of the kind of the, the your faults or your husband's faults. You just kind of laid them bare, and, and it, for me, there was a... There is an honesty and a transparency that I thought was a beautiful picture of the grace of God that kind of came out of your book so I just want to thank you for that just mm. um, so tell me like like obviously you how many how many books have you written now 14 14 so you're a prolific writer why a marriage book like like somebody once told me marriage book don't write a marriage book it gets lost in the noise everybody's written a marriage book um, but you know writing well enough to know that you could nail one and you have so tell me why why a marriage book when everybody else is writing a marriage book
1: well you know it's so funny when you talk about exposing and being honest and transparent stuff people say that writing a book is like standing up in front of the world in your bathing suit and i always feel that way like oh i've told a lot of stories i kind of shared maybe did i overshare but i, I teased todd my husband that this time i'm dragging him up there in his speedo with me <laughs> picture of anybody in a speedo. (laughs) But no, I I was told one time, don't write a marriage book unless one of two things is present. Either you have a bunch of letters behind your name. So you're an expert, you have your doctorate in, you know, family um, psychology or whatever, you're some kind of marriage expert, or you've went through some kind of tragedy, horrible thing in your marriage and it survived it. And I don't really fit either of those. We just have a pretty humdrum, boring, mundane marriage in some ways, but the thing about our marriage is the fact that it was kind of told to be doomed from the the get-go. Because my husband and I, when we went to our pastor for marital counseling, and we took all these batteries of tests. I don't remember what all they had back in the late 80s, but every test they had, we took. And I remember going back into the pastor's office after taking our tests separately in our, our little classrooms and we sat down at his desk and he looked at us and he looked at my profile, he looked at Todd's profile and then he, you know, took a sip of his coffee and looked us in the <laughs> eye and he was trying to procrastinate because he, he had to say it. He said, you know what, I just hate to tell you this, but a couple with the exact two profiles that you and your, your fiance have. Probably have a five percent chance of staying. Married. Holy smokes! Yeah, five percent chance. So in a way, our marriage is kind of average and humdrum. We haven't had anything great and tragic happen, or any, you know, um, affairs or anything like that. But what we do have that's constant and chronic is we are polar opposites. We we do everything differently. We attack like a t- life differently. We think differently. We parent differently. And those things that are different about us. Can cause a lot of conflict. In fact, we joke all the time, and I think this is so true. If we were to ever go on an online dating service now and fill out a profile, we would never be matched, ever. <laughs> and the, the screen would probably like start to smoke and explode and say, "Do not date this person. You're totally incompatible." So the fact that we're still married three decades later, well, it's only because of God and His grace and the commitment we made before Him. Because naturally, we don't. We just we're.
0: We don't mix all right so, <laughs> so people so people hear that story and they're like okay you have a five percent chance of success so like if you were to go into the doctor and they were to tell you you are terminal <laughs> you mm-hmm. have a five percent chance if you're gonna take do the chemo you'd be like i'm not gonna bother because it's like a five percent chance i mean it just it would feel like that um what like take me back to like, I'm just fascinated. Yeah, if yeah, you're yeah. willing to go there, and if Todd is willing to let you go there, take me back to the conversations you guys had right after that meeting. Like, what caused you at that moment to say, you know what, we're going to give this a go? And now, looking back on it, were you right? On, on, not on giving it a go, obviously, you were, but on the reasons why you thought it was going to make it. Like, like, walk me through that if you, if you feel comfortable doing that.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, and I think when, when I sat there and I heard that news delivered, part of me was discouraged because I'm like, I've watched a lot of people I loved in my life go through divorces, and I did not want to go there. I did not want to go there. So part of me was discouraged hearing 5% chance of success, but then I'm also one of those people that if you say you can't do it, I'm going to say, oh, yes, I can. So there was part <laughs> of me that was thinking, well, we'll beat, the, we'll beat these odds in our own strength. Like, I'm just so in love with this guy, and he's just so smitten with me. Mm -hmm. We're going to beat this thing. So I was a little discouraged, but then I was, nah, we've got this, kind of both at once. But early on in our marriage, I would say those first two years, they were horrible. They were horrible. In fact, I really believe, had I not been a believer, and my husband a believer, and we had not stood up in front of 220-some people and said our vows, not just to each other, but in front of those people and before God, if it had just been between he and I and we could have gotten out of it, we probably would not have made it past year or two. I, 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 I thought I made a mistake and I wanted out several times, dozens of times in those first two years, and so did my husband. But we knew that we said, till death do us part, for better, for worse, didn't get much worse than some of the fights that we had. I mean, there are things that were worse, but in my mind, you know, your, your own, what you're dealing with always is, is the most tragic. Um, but we, we just kept showing up and we kept doing the hard work. And I actually had somebody who was a mentor of mine. It was a woman who first shared the gospel with me, a pastor's wife here in Lansing when I was in high school. She stuck by her commitment to mentor me. I became a Christian when I was 16, and she mentored me through high school and college and on into early marriage. And she sat me down one day when I, again, was telling her about all the troubles in my marriage and how Todd wasn't doing things right and what was bothering me. And she said something that really upset me at the time, but now I think really helped to save my marriage. She said, you know, that pastor was right. You guys are very different, and you have very different upbringings. And so you've got to remember that your husband, when he's looking at marriage, he wants things to kind of be like they were growing up. You know, there was not a whole lot of conflict and things. He's just easygoing. He's just laid back and, you know, just go-with-the-flow kind of guy, and I grew up in a very volatile home with a father who was an alcoholic and who was abusive, and um, he ended up leaving our family when I was younger. Now, he came back to the Lord and has a wonderful story at the end. That'll be another podcast at some other time. Sometime I'll tell that story somewhere, but during my my formative years, everything was in conflict and chaos, so this mentor of mine said, Karen, you create chaos where where none exists just because it feels familiar to you to live in conflict. And so I was creating all this conflict and chaos, and he was wanting it to be smooth sailing, and both of us were miserable. It wasn't until I realized that I I was the cause of a lot of that, that I think we really started on the path to to making things work.
0: So looking back now, you thought we're gonna beat the odds, we can do this, we're so madly in love. Is, Is that what caused it to work? No. What caused it to work?
1: because I made a commitment before the Lord and I learned that the things I thought about marriage were not true. Things like marriage is gonna make you happy, it's all about you, and it's gonna be easy because you married the right person, right? You're two half people floating around the universe and now you finally <laughs> found, like you're, puzzle, you're like puzzle pieces, right? And, and now you fit perfectly together these two halves and you're gonna be whole and you're gonna be happy and it's all about you. No, marriage isn't two half people, it's two whole people. If you're single you're a whole person just as much as someone who's married is a whole person and it's two whole people learning to be more holy and it's not easy it's hard and it's not about you it's about the gospel it's about showing the watching world a picture of the gospel when they see you keep showing up keep wiping the slate clean keep forgiving keep granting grace relentlessly over and over and over again that's what It's about, and if you go to your marriage thinking it's going to make you happy, you're going to be disappointed. Because you know what happens is we go to our spouse for all the things we should be going to God for. Like we think they're going to know everything about us. They're going to meet our every need. They're going to bring us all this happiness. No, only God knows you completely. Only God can make you joyful. Only God can meet all your needs. And when we go to our spouse for that, it's just misplaced and it's a setup for disappointment. We've got to switch our thinking.
0: Now, you, you mentioned grace in there, and uh, if you remember from my book um, that just uh, came out back in February, um, I did I, made, I had that crazy idea of writing my own definition of grace.
1: <laughs> um, the big, long, the big, long definition. definition. I remember that definition yeah. Yeah. of grace.
0: And so my definition of grace, which is hard to commit to memory because it's so long, is that grace is the ridiculously unwarranted and outrageously favorable posture of God that transforms wretched sinners into wretched saints and keeps at it until they look like Jesus. Um, when you mentioned grace and then you described uh, your posture and Todd's posture towards you over your marriage, you were, you were describing this. In, it sounds like neither one of you warrants uh, <laughs> this marriage working out. and <laughs> It doesn't sound no like way. either one of you, um, th- that both of you were willing to be outrageously favorable toward the other. Um, Talk a little bit about that kind of that idea that that, that your spouse doesn't deserve this and yet you're going to be outrageously favorable toward them anyway. You've got some great examples in your book of that, but just pull one of those or just tell tell us a little bit about that posture and how that is a picture of the grace of God.
1: Well, I think we get a few different views of love in marriage and any relationship. If you're dating or whatever, there's the I love you because, right? Because... You're handsome, or you're pretty, or you're athletic, or you know, you're know you outgoing, and I'm not. Whatever it is, you love them because, or then that morphs into I love you if, so I've fallen in love with the because, but now I love you if, if you make me feel good, if you meet my needs, if you behave how I want to. But we got to get in marriage to that I love you despite. Like mm. despite your bad behavior because you're going to be in a relationship with this person, hopefully for the rest of your life, under the same roof, and nobody gets to rub you the wrong way more than they do. Nobody gets to see you up close and know your strengths and your weaknesses. Todd and I actually like to call them your non-strengths, your non-strengths, <laughs> you know, um, you and it's almost like your spouse is standing there holding this big mirror and it's just, you're looking at all your own flaws and all your own wretchedness and it does something to you. It almost makes you want to flip the mirror and say, no, you're the one that's wrong, you know, and so if we keep, this stupid little game we play that, you know, who's more wrong than the other one. And we mm-hmm. point fingers and we escalate com- um, a conflict to where things are just in turmoil. It just, it's, it's stupid. When you think about it, it's just, it's such a waste of time. It's such a waste of time, but we think that we're right. We're going to fix the other person and get them to see our way. Instead of when we have conflict saying, okay, let's, let's take the emotion out of it. Let's talk about what's going on here, but let's keep at the forefront of our mind that our marriage is a message and people are watching us preach Mm. each other to each other and people that are watching us are they going to see us be like jesus we're supposed to love others as christ loved us he's loving he's forgiving he's he's filled with grace he's patient you know all of these things we forget it because we just react in the moment in the flesh instead of deciding to try to reflect jesus and it's it's not something you can just you know magically read a verse and snap your fingers one day and all of a sudden Behave that way. It's that's why that's why I call the book "Keep Showing Up." It's like every day you have to hit the reset button because you know what? Some sometime within the first few hours of the day, maybe they're going to threaten, knock the nice right out of you because <laughs> you know they bump into you and they. Ugh! But we have opportunity over and over again to behave like Jesus does. We're not going to do it perfectly, but hopefully, the longer we're married, the more it comes naturally in a way because you know. It kind of is one of these up and down, up and down, up and down. But if we can keep that perspective, I feel like it keeps us from behaving badly. And this is from a woman who behaved very badly for many years. I mean, if we had pulled Todd in here on this podcast, he could have told you even more stories than I did in the book about how, and I can hardly say it without crying, how terribly I treated him. But he kept showing up and he kept loving me and he knew my upbringing, and he knew the reasons that sometimes I was like I was. And he just kept loving me, and he just, you know, kept pointing to God and saying, You know what? We did this before God and before others. We're going to stay in it for the long haul. We're going to stay in it for the long haul. It's not going to be easy, but it is going to be good.
0: You know, it sounds to me like uh, Todd has been exactly what Paul envisioned. Um, when he says that the mystery of marriage has been revealed, it is Christ in the church. And, uh, and, and the posture of love. <laughs> when you were talking about the, the non-strengths, it, it, it made me think about something that, um, I can't remember where I learned this, if it came out of my melon or somebody else told me somewhere along the way, I probably stole it from somebody. Um, but one of the tools that I try to implement in my marriage and I talk to other people about is, Try to find those non-strength things in your spouse endearing. Train yourself to see them as cute. That's good. Like when I think about Paul's words in Ephesians where he says, uh, to husbands in particular, uh, to present her to himself as pure and spotless and blameless without any wrinkle or any other blemish. The idea of um, presenting your spouse to yourself as blameless means find those negative things, those negative traits, endearing. And so just train yourself. Like if your spouse is, let's say, always late. Todd. Find yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't uh, resist. Train yourself to laugh at it when it happens and to say, man, isn't that cute? Um, Well, and it was
1: cute when you're dating. Was awesome. Right, no, he's look always he's late late again. and now it's like we have
0: got to be there. Let's go. These doors are gonna shut. <laughs> but but if you can train yourself to do that, then it takes the it's it's it takes all of the power away from that annoyance or weakness from undermining your marriage, because now you've flipped it into a strength.
1: That's good. And another thing that I think is so. True, and I've seen it in my own marriage and in marriages of people I'm close to, is that sometimes the non-strengths, the weaknesses, they are strengths carried to an extreme, and now they're weakness. So my husband's very laid back. He's agreeable. He's easy going. I love that about him. That's one of his strengths. He will just, he'll just go with the flow. But if left unchecked, he's a little too laid back, and it comes across as being indecisive or passive, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the flip side of his strength, or for me. He, he loved, when we first met in college, how I could talk. He's a little more laid back and quiet, and he said, I loved how you could work a room and make the shy ones feel included. You could talk to anybody. But about three days into our marriage, he thought, when is she ever gonna <laughs> shut up? In fact, he teases that if, if I go before he does, he already knows what he's gonna put on my tombstone. A period. <laughs> He's finally done talking. <laughs> you know, but any of those things that first attracted us to our spouse that's a strength, if left unchecked, they kind of morph into a non-strength. But I like I like your your idea of looking at them as endearing and cute. And especially like my, you know, my father just passed away. Mm-hmm. And all the things that used to bug me about him, now I think, oh, I'd give anything for yeah. him to call me three times in a row and tell me the story he just told <laughs> me, you know? And for, it would bother me because I was trying to get things done, but now it's so sweet and endearing, yeah. and it's too bad that sometimes we have to wait until someone's gone to think that, so I like that. I like you know, that. I'm going to take that as a challenge. Oh, yeah. And so when Todd and I are late for church, we're just going to walk and say, we're here, Noel. Isn't this cute? Noel's Isn't this cute?
0: <laughs> um, But, you know, I think we do the same thing with little kids. Um, where somebody else's little kid will find something that they're doing endearing and cute But our kid because they're so close to us and they're doing it all the time. It becomes annoying And so I think a lot of it is about proximity and when you're around somebody and they're doing the same thing over and over That gets on your nerves. It's it's, it's hard. You have to kind of make the decision that you're gonna To do that and that's really what the book is about The idea of uh, keep showing up is the idea that that it's making the decision that I'm gonna be here and that I'm going to posture grace toward this person, um, especially when they don't deserve it. And and, and I just, I loved that uh, uh, about your book, and just the, the, um, the inside look into your marriage as a prototype of a marriage that could have gone down in flames, but by the grace of God as an example to the world and to people in the church. And so I just love that about you and Todd and the book.
1: Well, and I think when you have that, perspective, you're doing evangelism and you don't even know it. You don't even know it. As much as um, Todd and I let people in our lives, especially we have a lot of young millennials that hang out at our house and they get to see us when we're having a spat, you know, and when things aren't going swimmingly, we let them in regardless. And um, I actually, if I can read a text message that I got, I, I got a text message from a young millennial. She's um, married with two kids. She goes to the the same venue I do at at um, Riverview here, and I've known her for a few years, and when I first knew her, she was not a believer. She was not someone that went to church, but we welcomed her into our life. She's actually the best, or the uh, wife now, of our son's best friend from childhood. She just started hanging out with us. And I remember there were some times that they'd leave our house and I'd go, oh my goodness, I behaved badly. She saw Todd and I get a little spat, <laughs> a little uh, uh, domestic, just you know, what do we call uh, My friend Lisa calls them growth opportunities. Yes. Had a couple growth opportunities, <laughs> but we just, we just kept loving her. And um, you know, she started coming to church. She continued to hang out with us. And I was going home from church last Sunday and I heard my phone ding when I was in the Target parking lot, actually. And so I could look over and read my text message, and this is what she said to me, 12.01 p.m. She said, hey, Karen, I just wanted to say this. Thank you so much for being who you are. You and Todd's marriage and children are seriously so much of the reason why I was intrigued by the gospel in the first place, because I saw something different about you guys. I don't want you to ever forget what you've done for me and what your prayers have done for my life. Please pass this message to Todd. And I don't read this to say, look at how wonderful we are. I read it to say, look at how wonderful God is. Mm-hmm. That He can reach the heart of someone with the gospel when they're watching two very ordinary people have a very mundane but sometimes uh, rocky and volatile relationship, but but they see us continue to love and to serve each other and to, to keep going and doing the hard work of marriage. And later on in her text messages, she told me that she's gonna be baptized. Oh, and I awesome. just sat there in target, like people probably were going, Why is this lady bawling in the target parking lot? But I thought <laughs> God uses us despite our humanness, despite our wretchedness, despite the times we don't show grace. He still gets His message out through very ordinary relationships mm-hmm. to the people that are watching. Mm-hmm.
0: I can think of no better end to this than that. So Karen, thank you so much uh, for coming on, sharing uh, a little snippets of your marriage in your book. to so tell, uh, tell folks how they can get a copy of your book. Uh, it just came out at the end of last month.
1: End of February. And yep. so
0: it's available now pretty much everywhere?
1: Pretty much everywhere. Yep. Then there's a it has its own site, keep showing up Awesome.
0: Thank you so much, Karen.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Seriously, if you're married or you think you might ever get married, you need to check out this book. Karen Eman keeps showing up. Just super practical. Just the way she came across in the interview is exactly how she writes. And you definitely need to uh, get a copy of that book. So thanks for listening to the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. We'll see you next time.